0: Today, I will be reading Mark 8, verse 11 to 21. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up?" 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand?
1: Good morning, people of Pathway. Now, not due to my unbelief of Simon, in Simon's ability as a sound guy, it's more my unbelief in my own voice, my voice packed it in two days ago. I couldn't, couldn't even talk at all. I was trying to order a, a beer at the Lake Lake pub and the lady at the bar was like, what was that? <laughs> so anyway, I feel fine. Just For some reason, my voice has gone to poo. So, so I, I trust you can all hear me. I don't doubt Simon and your ability, unlike some, Mike. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so hello people of Pathway as most of you know my name is Ryan but before we move on I want to ask for help if you're not aware of my role here at Pathway I'm doing some ministry training this year and sermons are a bit new to me preparing them and delivering them can seem a little daunting at times and I tend to talk way too fast and may appear a little tense up here <sighs> anyway, so if you can't keep up or you can't hear me well, please stop me, Uh, raise your hand, yell out my name, stand up and do a 360, I don't know, do something to get my attention, Um, just mention it, whatever it is I'm doing or not doing, and just feel free to do that, because I won't get angry, I won't be offended, we're all about helping people grow here, and that's something you can do for me the other way you can do it is um, to fill out the survey. I'm not sure if Mike mentioned it but if you didn't get the link, it's actually in the newsletter so if you got emailed that newsletter this week the church newsletter, you can find that link and you should just be able to click straight on it straight to the survey um, I would really appreciate open, honest feedback. Um, it's super quick and easy and I um, yeah, it would just be really good to see results. I, I was the guinea pig last sermon, you guys did the survey, it was a bit clunky but it worked. Um, it was good feedback and I thank you for that Um, So I'd ask for that again, but don't worry, it's anonymous. So even if you say something very real and true, no one will let you down, it's good. We're all about growing and stuff. Anyway, let's go. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What does Jesus mean when he says to watch out for yeast? It's a microorganism that ferments and causes bread to rise. Would you come with me as we dig into this a little deeper? So there are two people groups represented here in this account. The Pharisees and the disciples. Let's take a look at them both. Just in a little bit more detail, but before we do, would you allow me to pray? God, may your words be heard here this morning, not my own. Help us to be open and receptive to what you have to say through your word, the Bible, this morning. Convict us, encourage us, Grow us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's kick it off by looking at the first part of this passage. Verse 11 says, The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign. When I first read this passage, I wondered, were these guys present with Jesus as he had literally just fed 4,000 people just like the day before, with just a handful of bread and some fish? And if they had... Why on earth would they need more signs that he was indeed the Messiah? Well, the truth is, after some research, I discovered that the Pharisees had not seen Jesus perform that miracle. Jesus feeding the 4,000 was in the Gentile area, so they would never like, lower themselves to that level, uh, so they would never have been there. Therefore, they didn't see Jesus do this miracle. Hmm. Okay, well, if they didn't witness the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, Like me, then you perhaps you were honestly, perhaps they just honestly wanted to set the record straight. Perhaps rumors have been flying around and the Pharisees had not yet seen this Jesus guy who they'd heard so much about. And when they finally get to meet him, they excitedly ran up and said, You know, Jesus, we've heard all all this stuff about you. Show us what you know, what have you done? And and, in excitement, well, uh, that's also not the case. They had seen Jesus do plenty of miracles before. In fact, it says earlier on in this book, in Mark, actually in chapter 3, that in response to Jesus' miracles and teaching, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being demon possessed. So these guys had seen miracles, they'd heard about Jesus' teaching, they had more than enough proof to know that he was indeed the Messiah. The Pharisees were well educated on what we now know as the Old Testament, it was their job. They studied it and they were super, super religious. They knew that a promised Messiah was coming. They did not want it to be Jesus. He was too revolutionary and he was likely going to upset their nice, comfortable religious lives. Something else to note is that the NIV just doesn't quite capture the motive or emotion that the Pharisees came at Jesus with. English words are often left lacking when it comes to clearly defining the Greek descriptions given in the original text. Verse 11 says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. It sounds civil and respectful. One commentary I read said this, several Greek words in verse 11 are more antagonistic than the NIV indicates, leaving no doubt of the Pharisees opposition. <laughs> okay, so the Pharisees came to Jesus. What's wrong with that? Sounds harmless, right? Wrong. The Greek word used for came is connected to military rank. They came against Jesus as soldiers to an enemy. Another word the NIV uses is question. Now, while the use of this word is not incorrect, it doesn't mean that they politely raised their hand like a good school kid and were asked to speak by the teacher. There's actually a sense of opposition in there, that they're disputing and opposing Jesus in in the way that they questioned him. It wasn't at all polite or respectful. And even the word used for test, that was more a test of destruction than a test of validation. Testing to validate an idea is different than testing something to destruction. Testing how much horsepower an engine has is different than seeing how long an engine can run with no oil. The Pharisees were testing Jesus to try to break him and his teaching. (coughs) So what does all this mean? The Pharisees were openly hard-hearted in their unbelief. My immediate reaction, I presume yours as well, to the text, may not have caused us to think that way at first. But when you dig a little deeper, like we just have done, I think that the hard hearts of the Pharisees becomes pretty obvious. Now, I'd like to attempt to bring this situation a little closer to home. To do that, I need a volunteer Preferably someone who likes cars. Don't be scared. You can stay in your chair if you like, but it's up to you. All right, John. I'm going to ask you a question. What car manufacturer do you think is the best? (laughs) (laughs) You're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong too. It's definitely Toyota whatever brand you just said or whatever you were thinking, it's wrong thank you you just cannot compare (laughs) you just cannot compare with Toyota what car is more unbreakable than an old 2.8 diesel Hilux name another car like the old leaf sprung diesel Hilux is comfortable, quiet powerful and not even overpriced no, you're wrong There is no other car that's better than this. And on and on it goes. I'm guessing we've encountered people who ask a question only to prove their point. Not because they want to know the answer, but to bash you and your ideas. Sorry, John. And to prove that what they know is the best. So that was the Pharisees in this moment. The Pharisees didn't want to know who Jesus was. They had made the decision. They chose to believe that Jesus was not the Messiah. God's son. No matter what Jesus did, they were never going to change their minds. Jesus knew this which is why he didn't do as they asked. Just like you guys all knew it was a waste of time to try and convince me that Hiluxes were indeed rubbish my atti- it was just never going to work. My attitude was one of arrogance and I was not willing to listen to other ideas with an open mind. My preconceived bias and ideas were simply just in the way and the Pharisees were the same. So, are you openly hard-hearted? Do you have preconceived ideas of who God should be? Do you really want to know the answers that you ask about God? Do you really want to know who God is? Think deeply and honestly about these questions. They're important. So, let's go back to the microorganism that makes bread rice yeast, right? Right? The yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Hmm. Jesus refers to, Jesus refers to this yeast as unbelief. I'm just gonna make sure I'm keeping up. I think. Anyway. Um, they were unite so that both the Pharisees and Herod shared one thing in common. They were united in their view of Jesus. Both Herod and the Pharisees have a strong unbelief in who Jesus is. Surely Jesus' own disciples would not struggle with unbelief. Why would Jesus warn them so clearly against it? So these guys, the disciples, literally lived alongside Jesus. They were there when he performed miracles. They were there when he taught the people with power and authority. How could they possibly have been at risk of unbelief? Just want to make sure. Oh yeah, there we go. Thanks, George. You covered me well. <laughs> so... Let's shift our focus now to this bizarre interaction between Jesus and his disciples in the boat. Having just dealt with the openly hard-hearted, unbelieving Pharisees, Jesus makes this statement to the disciples. Watch out for the yeast, also known as the unbelief of the Pharisees, and that of Herod. How do the disciples respond? They bicker amongst themselves about forgetting lunch. Why? Because Jesus is thinking about spiritual things And the disciples are thinking about their stomachs. It's unlike men, isn't it? The disciples have been around Jesus a while now. They've been exposed to his teaching, seen countless miracles, and yet somehow they still miss Jesus' point. Why would they be at risk of being affected by the yeast of the Pharisees? We've confirmed what the yeast is, right? Hopefully I've made it clear enough that you're all thinking this one word right now. It's unbelief. So who has their Bible open still? What literally just happened before Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees. Sing it out. Very good. So he fed 4,000 men. Now this isn't counting women and children, so I had a guess. We could very safely double that number. So some 8,000 people were just fed off a handful of bread and a few fish. And they even ended up having heaps of bread left over. It's somehow the disciples, now in the boat, are worried Jesus is unable to meet their needs there. What? Jesus responds to the disciples with a bunch of questions. These questions are found in verses 17 through to 21. And it says, I think it should be uh, there, yep. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? You have eyes, but fail to see, and ears, but fail to hear. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? I can imagine them saying, 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And again, they'd be like, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Ouch, these questions are hard-hitting. What didn't they understand? What have the disciples missed? There is a case against the disciples here in that they became too familiar with Jesus. The teaching and miracles of Jesus should have continually blown the disciples' socks off. However, it would seem they have become complacent encountering miracles regularly and profound teaching, I'm sure, daily. It seems that these guys are going too comfortable and used to it all. So that's subtle, cold-hearted unbelief. It's very different to the Pharisees' openly hard-hearted unbelief, but it's unbelief all the same. The disciples' intense love and joy of being with Jesus has been allowed to grow cold. Jesus' teaching the masses, feeding thousands of people, healing the sick, and teaching about forgiveness of sins should cause a change in the disciples' lives. It would seem that it hasn't, at least not yet, anyway. Here we go. So the disciples were closer to Jesus than anyone. They were with him physically. They saw many times with their own eyes how Jesus could do incredible things. Yet they still didn't get it. The disciples saw Jesus' miracles, heard his teaching. The unbelief, unbelief is due to a lack of application. Jesus just doesn't seem to have penetrated the disciples' hearts. Jesus did and said radical stuff. And his disciples just don't seem to have done anything with it except go, whoa, that was cool. Jesus' teaching needs to have a response. So we can be like this as well, coming together each Sunday, as well as Bible studies during the week, small groups during the week, mentoring relationships, the podcasts we listen to, our own personal devotion times, just to name a few. We have no end of encountering profound biblical truths. Are we too familiar with these? Do we simply hear a sermon a worship song, a prayer, and move on and change nothing in our lives as a result. I know I certainly find myself doing this. So the disciples were physically with Jesus just about every day for about three years. They saw many miracles, heard his voice, they even smelt his breath, felt his emotions. They did life physically with him, yet somehow they became complacent. Now, we have never physically seen Jesus stand before us and perform a miracle before our very eyes. We've never smelled his breath, heard his voice or experienced Jesus' emotions in the flesh like his disciples did. In a lot of ways, it's even easier for us to become complacent or to allow the yeast to creep in as we have less personal or physical experiences to go on than the disciples did. What will be different in your life after you leave here this morning? Honestly ask yourself, what has changed in you spiritually since last Sunday or the last small group or your last prayer meeting or your last Bible reading that you did personally by yourself? Now I don't want us to feel guilty about this but these are important questions to ask. Has subtle, cold-hearted unbelief begun to creep into your life? So maybe you've recognised yourself as being openly hard-hearted or perhaps a subtle, cold-hearted unbelief has crept in. What now? We need to get back on track to becoming whole-hearted believers. Peter worked this out a few verses later in, the, in this same chapter in Mark 8, 27 to 30, gives an account of a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Jesus asks them, Who do the people say that I am? The disciples read off a few answers. Some say, Yeah, just they say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And others reckon that you're just another prophet. Then Jesus goes on and asks the disciples this question, who do you say I am? I can imagine they'll be looking at each other, what do we say? Anyway, Peter pipes up this time and he says, you are the Messiah. This story is also recorded in Matthew 16 and it's the first time that the disciples acknowledge who Jesus actually is. Their unbelief is changing to belief. Jesus is becoming more than some guy who does cool miracles and has sweet debates with the Pharisees, um, who, by the way, no one likes much. This is the first of a few turning points for the disciples. Peter appears to be trans- transitioning from subtle, cold-hearted unbelief to a more whole-hearted belief in Jesus. Now, for those who know the New Testament well, you'll be thinking, hang on a minute, Peter still sucked at being a wholehearted believer. In fact, just after this account in, in Mark, Peter is told off by Jesus and accused of being Satan. Peter also ditched Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he denied who Jesus was three times and was just generally a bit useless as a follower of Christ. Like I said, this is one of a few turning points for the disciples. However, eventually, Peter was the guy who really got Christianity going. You can read about that in Acts 2. My point being, we can begin to make this shift from unbelief to belief, whether openly hard-hearted or subtly cold-hearted to a more wholehearted belief. We can go from one to the other. We won't get it right all the time. Like Peter, we won't just flick a switch and all of a sudden become robots who follow Jesus at every turn. It is something that needs continual work and honestly, we will continually stuff it up. That's where grace comes in. God doesn't want perfectly coded robots to follow him. He wants a relationship with us. He knows we mess things up. That's why Jesus died on the cross. We are forgiven for everything. Do you see yourself as openly hard-hearted like the Pharisees were? Let's have a quick look at what it says in verse 12. After the hard-hearted Pharisees have confronted Jesus, it says, he, Jesus, sighed deeply in his heart. One commentary said, says, it's not an expression of anger or indignation, but rather a sigh of dismay or despair. Jesus wasn't angry at them. He was just saddened by the poor response given to him. You Can just imagine Jesus thinking to himself, why can't you just get it? All this religious rubbish, this self-seeking, short-sighted lifestyle. Life is so much more than that. Should you just see who I am? Do you really want to know the answer to the question, is Jesus the Messiah? Or do you just want to make a point for why he isn't? Maybe you recognise your heart has grown subtly cold. Perhaps, like the disciple, familiarity has crept in, or a lack of application. Biblical truths can go in one ear and out the other without doing anything in our lives. That's a problem. Lack of application will lead to subtle, cold-hearted unbelief. Ask yourself: Is what you heard and experienced this morning going to drift away into nothingness as you wander out the door of this church this morning? God wants us, his children, to draw near to him. He wants a relationship with you. Just like a good parent longs for their child to love them and be in relationship with them, so does God. And also like a good parent, God will help you if you want him to. God has given us so much. He's given us himself as the Holy Spirit to help us. He's given us his word, hang on, the Bible, to guide us. He has given us his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Now we're going to remember and celebrate this now by taking part in the symbolic meal that we call Lord's Supper. I won't explain in detail what this meal is, I'll let Ed do that in a minute, but I will say this. By understanding who Jesus is, by softening our hearts to acknowledge that he is indeed the Messiah, or by warming our hearts by re-establishing his awesomeness in our lives, we can remember and appreciate the significant event that was Jesus' death and resurrection. Something we can do this morning to respond to God's love is to participate in this meal, stopping, reflecting and pondering on God's goodness and love toward us. So I'll hand over to Ed now to lead us through this. Thanks. Ed.
2: Thanks, Ryan. Um, I don't have much to add. In fact, I have nothing to add, really, to to what Ryan said. I think Ryan's message to us this morning is extremely powerful. It's extremely powerful. And I'd like you to just think with me before we enter into the Lord's Supper, and if you're new, new to church, you're new to uh, faith of the Bible the Lord's Supper we're going to hand out a little piece of bread a little cup of wine it, it represents to us ultimately who Jesus Christ was he was the son of God who died 2,000 years ago to forgive you of your sins so that you can know God have a relationship with him from now through eternity there's much more to that story but that's it and the question this morning for you, for me, is the question that Ryan put to us. Do we believe it? Do you believe it? I'd like to leave half a minute to a minute just of silence. And, and in that time for me, gauge, gauge your own heart this morning. The reality is that this room is filled with people in, in both or all three of the categories that Ryan shared with us. Perhaps you say, look, I am hard-hearted. I, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't want to believe this, and I don't believe this. That's cool. You know, we, we love you. Welcome here. That's cool. Don't feel forced to participate. Jesus isn't forcing you. I'm not forcing you. Maybe this morning's the morning where, where you know your hard heart is getting soft, yeah, it's a promise God makes. I'll take from you your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh. Warm, throbbing, loving of God. That could be you. Is it you this morning for the first time? I invite you to, to either come to me or come to Ryan afterwards and let us pray with you. <laughs> let us celebrate that and welcome it. And Lead you deeper into how to live with that new heart, warm, believing. Maybe participate if you're convinced or certain. Maybe in that time of silence that I hold, maybe maybe be convicted perhaps that, yes, it's cold-hearted. I know who Jesus is, but I need warmth. <laughs> I've forgotten just how good it is, right?? <laughs> How good it is. Sit on that, bring it to him and take that bread and wine this morning. Be reminded, have your heart made more whole again. That's one of the reasons we take the bread and the wine. It helps us to become more whole hearted. Maybe you've just had the most cracking week of your life spiritually. Your heart's whole. (laughs) Praise God. In your moment of silence, take the bread, take the wine, rejoice, see it as a celebration. So let me leave that time, you, with your own heart, your own mind, and Jesus. I'll leave about a minute of silence, I'll pray, and then we'll hand out the bread and the wine. All right, let's quiet our hearts.